No, but do we expect it? Yes. Recorded in front of a live studio audience. What? Like, maybe not. No. <laughs> was that as good for you as it was for me? Yeah, no. Hello, everybody. Um, if you're listening on HML's Political Hookup, I'm probably an unfamiliar voice as I'm the host of the sister show, H. Uh, what am I called? Homo's Modern Life. Um, and I'm joined with the uh, host of uh, I Cannot Talk Today, HML's, HML's Political Hookup. Hookup, Mr. Ryan Casey. Yeah, so one of the dynamic duos of the host of uh, HML's Political Hookup. We yes. decided to do a little sister crossover I know. podcast for an important reason. Yes, um, and it's I'm excited because we never get to work together like uh, on, on either one of these things. So it's really fun to be able to work with you. This is more of a local issue. So if you're not here in Dallas, this may not interest you, um, but it could. I think the people that we were able to talk to are very inspiring um, all the way around um, and have really great policies and, and ideas that I think work in almost any community, truly. We wanted to talk to the people running for city council here in Dallas. Um, in both District 2 and District 14. Um, the reason being is because those two districts collide right in the middle of the neighborhood. Mm-hmm. Basically, Roundup is District 14, JR's S4, TMC is District 2. And so we really wanted to take a chance to reach out to everybody running as District 2, for the first time in a long time, has no incumbent. Um, so it is all a lot of first time runners, um, or people that haven't been in city council before. Um, and district 14, um, did have one, but it's only his second year. Um, but we wanted to hear from them, right? What they're going to do for our community, because they both have such a great impact, um, especially here in Dallas, because, um, over the pandemic with our rainbow crosswalks and our, our markers, the neighborhood Oaklawn is a district, just like Design District, Deep Ellum, everything else. We've really kind of defined ourselves. So it's really funny to me that uh, we're divided right down the middle between two districts, right? right. Um, so we took the opportunity to reach out to every single person that is running um, with tireless effort from our dear sweet producer, Colin, um, emailing, calling, g- getting any way of communicating with them. Um, and unfortunately, no one in District 14 got back to us, which I think um, in a way does speak in and of itself. Um, and District 2, um, in my opinion, we got um, two back, but they are and have always been my top two. So. I was really excited to uh, talk to um, both Raha and uh, Dr. Sana Syed um, for District 2. Um, we did reach out to everybody. Um, we gave them the opportunity to email us back with their, their responses because um, we asked them all the same questions. And Ryan, I will let you uh, let them all know what we asked everybody. Yeah, so we did send them a series of five questions. And um, the reason why we chose these five is because, as Tyler said, uh, we are a community in Oakland, being the LGBTQ center of Dallas. And city council members actually have a lot of power to make change in the city of Dallas just because of the way the city, the city government is structured. So obviously, our questions are tailored to the LGBTQ community. We asked about the horrific rise against uh, violence against our trans brothers and sisters and what would they do to help combat that because it is a serious issue in Dallas. Mm-hmm. Um, we also asked them about housing costs over the past few years and mm-hmm. what would they do to help curb that. 
we asked them about the sizable unhoused population in the city of Dallas and what would they do to support that community. We also asked them um, what would they do to help give Oaklawn its own agency because as Tyler mentioned the two districts split pretty much right down Cedar Springs Road which kind of divides our voices in a community that is overall pretty unified on almost any issue. Mm -hmm. um, and then the final question we asked them was how do you support the LGBT LGBTQ community and what have you done in the past to support us or what will you do as a city council member? Yep, exactly. Um, and they both answered the questions absolutely fabulously, in my opinion. Um, again, I was very excited to talk to these two. Um, they yeah, are- If you looked at the list of District 2 candidates, I'm surprised, and this just goes to Colin being a really good uh, organizer, I'm surprised that we got these two, because they honestly have the most thought out responses to any question of any other interview before yeah. they came on our show. And these two candidates, uh, Raha Saadi and Dr. Sonic Syed, um, they really care about the community. Absolutely. And you can tell that in their responses. Yes. I, that's the thing is like, I, I'll be honest, I was shocked that anyone said yes to us, um, but very <laughs> excited that we got these two for District 2, um, which is... Uh, probably the larger part of the neighborhood, um, arguably. All of our apartments, I think going back towards Maple from Cedar Springs, all those millions yeah. of living in... <laughs> in, in <laughs> and if you're on the, the west side of the tollway, you're also in District 2. I know the community, and they either live in the community, live close, and as you're going to hear when they respond to things, it's something that think about obviously it's why they're playing for city council and they've come on shows like this but it's it's issues that they really have noticed and I even learned a lot about you know issues especially with housing and how do you add and what's going on in other areas in our neighborhood and how these people who have had these multi-generational houses are you know being harassed quite frankly by developers who's on it and I, I didn't even know that was such a problem but I learned something from speaking to these these two yeah, I, it's something that I, I've always seen in like movies. It's like straight up real. And it's the reason that whether or not you know it, you're starting to get priced out of your own neighborhood. That was really insightful. Yeah. Um, I, 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 I learned so much in just talking to them. They want to be connected. They want to be transparent. Exactly why I think these two candidates are so important is because they took the time to come and talk to us little, you know, gay boy nobodies um, <laughs> on a podcast they had never heard of. And they want to make some sort of change because like, you know, they're representing you and it's also, and they like, I was just surprised at how much they cared. They honestly were both very respectful too, because like you mentioned, neither of them had heard about the podcast or maybe they've come across a meme and passed, probably not, but sure. they just like, they, even when the conversation kind of pivoted to, to issues that were much more, you know, hard to talk about they were still very respectful and and we even had technical difficulties with both candidates at different times yeah like at the beginning and then with dr syed we had them in the middle with there were some people joining in the lobby and they like were totally chill and calm and like just yeah. kind throughout the whole thing absolutely like like i said to who are not professionals to to them who well you know i'm a professional i'm always a professional <laughs> but you know to them it was it was just really cool. Like, you know, I, and I also felt like so empowered, like in my community and like, you know, like making my voice heard. They're really people there where like, if there is an issue, like someday someone will fix my section of Wycliffe and the tollway, which I think is a death trap. Then there are people that are there that are, will do it. And like, you can talk to, and they'll try to make it happen. So it, it, that I think was the very interesting to me. Someone should really do something about that. Yeah. They're the ones actually doing things about it. Yeah. And I thought it was interesting too, with the unhoused uh, population, you know, we see these people struggling with mental illness or drug abuse on the streets when we're out at the bars, but we just kind of, and we're like, wow. Yeah. And they, they were both very clear on like, this isn't a police issue. Like mm -hmm. straight up, this is not a police issue, right? And yep. those are always the people we see responding to those at the bars. If you're here at the bars and it's like you see it frequently, it's it's getting these people help, which is what they need, um, and and sustainable help, which I think is even more important.
So mm-hmm. I'm very excited. Um, I will be honest, we did not know how we were gonna put them together. So we kind of introduce and close each little segment with both of them. Um, so bear with us, but I will kick it over to- Doing the interviews. <laughs> <laughs> Hello and welcome everybody. Um, We're joined by um, two special people, someone I don't get to work with very often, Mr. Ryan Casey from our HML Political Hookup Show. Hello, hello, the sister podcasts are getting together. Yes, and we are here for a very special reason as we're talking to city council members. So we're joined today by Raha Asadi. Hello, Raha. Hi, thank you so much for having me. Absolutely, we're excited to have you here. Yes, and welcome to our joint podcast thing. Um, so like Tyler mentioned, Oaklawn is kind of in a conjuncture between two city council districts. For those who don't know, it's District 2 and District 14. And kind of the barrier point of it is really right around the, the Legacy of Love Memorial. Towards the centrum is District 14. And towards the bars on the south side of Cedar Springs is District 2. It goes all the way up to Love Field, kind of cuts into downtown Deep Bellum, very interesting. But as you know, um, Raha, because I believe you lived in Oakland for a little bit, that it is I the center. Uh, you still do? Mm-hmm. Awesome. So it's the center, you know, then it's the center of LGBTQ right, or population. Oh, yeah, in Texas. absolutely. In fact, the reason I, I moved here is really because of that, because there's this sense of um, real unity and um, just kind of positivity that surrounds the neighborhood. Um, you know, anyone you talk to, anyone, anyone you you meet, you just, I mean, you feel it. And then you go a few streets up to Uptown and no offense to Uptown, but it's just not the same, you know? No. Um, so This so is that, very much like wave to strangers on your walk type situation yeah. all the time. It kind of freaks me out sometimes, but I'm like, <laughs> this is so nice. Yes, it um, is very, very nice. And um, I, I just, I couldn't see myself living anywhere else. Good. And so as a city council member, what would you do to help foster the LGBT community here and um, promote it? Yes. So that is a very good question. So as you kind of touched on, um, Oakland is divided into, you know, District 2 and District 14. And it really is Cedar Springs Road um, that is the dividing line. Um, You know, I have friends that live just on the other side of Cedar Springs and they're in a completely different district. And um, I think that really just um, it it doesn't allow for um, kind of the representation in one uniform district that we need. Um, and, you know, we've had, um, you know, we've had some city council members who are um, LGBTQ friendly allies members, um, but it's really hard to, you know, kind of comprehensively get things done when it's, um, when it's kind of divided up. Um, and we're currently, you know, having this discussion about redistrict, redistricting and, and drawing new lines. Mm-hmm. And um, I think we just need to do a much better job of looking at the neighborhoods and saying, okay, are we cutting this neighborhood in half? Um, and if so, why don't we see kind of where the happy sort of um, line is, uh, kind of the, the more organic line um, that kind of separates. And so, you know, for example, if I were, if redistricting were up to me, I would have um, district to kind of go all the way up until it, you, you reach like kind of Highland Park Village area. Mm-hmm. Uh, because right now it's, I mean, a part of it is cut out because Highland Park is not even a part of the city of Dallas. Um, and, and it's just so gerrymandered and that is intentionally done, um, to, you know, to benefit historically to benefit, um, you know, the people who have been in office. And so, um, we need a, a less gerrymandered, more kind of equal, um, clean cut, um, district. Uh, and, and I think that's, I think that's the starting point. Yeah. I've always found it weird that like, I'm in the same district because uh, I'm, you know, right by the tollway as the same district as Deep Ellum. Like, it's never exactly. really, like, made sense to me. Like, right. it's I two mean, very it, different demographics. Yeah, I would argue that um, District 2 is kind of the most gerrymandered and weirdly shaped district. I kind of describe it as a U-shape. Um, mm-hmm. And it goes from uh, Oaklawn, uh, well, Lovefield, um, Oaklawn to 
um, kind of Elm Thicket, um, Medical District, parts of uptown, parts of downtown. And then it goes all the way down to the farmer's market and the Cedars. And then it goes back up to Deep Ellum and parts yeah. of East Dallas. Um, so it's really, and, and that's what makes it so important is that we really have to have um, a city council member in district two who really understands just how diverse the district is. Yeah. Um, and, and how every neighborhood kind of has its own set of needs and character and face. And we need to appreciate that because, you know, the, the needs and the priorities and the, uh, you know, the issues of Oaklawn are not the same as uh, Elm Thicket or Deep Elm or the Cedars. And, and mm -hmm. so right now it's just, it's kind of clumped together in, in, okay, this is district two and this is what we need to do for district two, but it's really not the case. And we need a city council member who really has the energy to kind of break it down and, and really talk to the members of the community and, and say, okay, what do we need? You know, uh, one of the things I, anticipate us talking about is, you know, the, the violence that's been going on in the LGBTQ plus community and, mm -hmm. and that's happening in Oakland, you know, and, and um, a lot of the time in, in Deep Ellum too. And, you know, that's not happening in um, Junius Heights or, you know, Elm Thicket or, um, you know, other parts of the district. So uh, I think it's about kind of tailoring the issues to, to what the neighborhood needs. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then, yeah, for sure. Kind of playing off that a little bit. Uh, I know that uh, another one of your, um, opponents, you could say other person who's running for this, this position has mentioned increased funding to the police, um, you know, really getting more police on the ground. But like you said, Oakland has a very unique uh, circumstances. Texas, unfortunately, has a very high rate of violence against trans women, especially trans women of color. And mm -hmm. of the cities in Texas, Dallas consistently ranks the worst for that. So um, what is something that you would do to help make Oakland safer and definitely for trans women of color? feel safe. Absolutely. Thank you for asking that question because it is very near and dear to my heart. Um, first, I want to talk about just policing in general, because uh, it seems to be that I'm the only candidate that uh, is willing to stand up and say kind of what really needs to be done. Um, mm -hmm. And I think, I think a part of that is because I'm not, <clears throat> excuse me, I'm not a part of, you know, city council. I'm not, I'm not part of city hall. Um, and, and I'm kind of this independent person that's not tied to these political alliances and factions. And so I really do have kind of an unencumbered voice to, to really be authentic and um, and say what I think. And I, I'm, I'm, proud, I'm proud to say that I've been, I, I've been endorsed by the Black Police Association of Greater Dallas. And the reason for that is because when I walked in there, I was, I was real and authentic. And I told them, as a city, we have not addressed the very dark history of racism and white supremacy um, that has really built the city. Um, and, and that, that interview, I was one of the last candidates to interview at like nine in, in, uh, in the evening. And they were like, you were the first and only candidate who has actually addressed the history of Dallas. So thank you. And, and that is one of that kind of goes hand in hand with this issue. Um, the city of Dallas has been traditionally very socially conservative. Um, and in the last few years, you know, even, you know, the last 10 years, it's really, really been changing. But what we have is a police force that is not kind of um, changing with the times. Um, and and I think you mentioned, uh, Ryan, that, you know, other candidates have talked about more funding to the police, more um, hiring more police officers. And I just can't, I can't comprehend that. Um, and I, I will explain why. I am a labor and employment attorney, okay? And uh, what that means is I advise clients on, uh, you know, best HR practices, uh, training, uh, hiring, uh, you know, retraining. Um, we kind of, we kind of give the, the, you know, play by play in terms of what needs to be done to, to maintain ethical business practices. Um, what, what type of um, diversity and inclusion training do you have? What type of anti-racism training do you have? Um, and so what's happening now is people are really, really focused on, um, on financial resources um, to the police and whether we take them away or, or give more, but we're really kind of ignoring the human resources aspect of it. And, and right now, there's no, there's no comprehensive procedure for police officers to regularly be trained um, and, and their performance to be um, monitored and, and addressed. 
And, and, you know, as, as, like I said, as an attorney who's counseling these private entities on how to monitor their employees' output and performance, why don't we just take, uh, you know, take some notes from the private sector? Uh, you know, it, we don't have to reinvent the wheel. Um, if we had more comprehensive training um, and made it a little bit more of a selective process to become a police officer, um, we would inherently have um, police officers that cared about the right things that were more um, concerned about, um, you know, more progressive issues. And, and ultimately, the issue of hiring more police officers, I like to equate it to not to say police officers are fruits, but um, I like to use the example of a lemon, uh, we need to squeeze the lemon uh, to the full ex extent before we slice another lemon and, 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 and yeah. start squeezing that. Um, and right now, I feel that the police officers, uh, the, the level of productivity that they have in terms of um, how they're doing things, um, how they're being staffed, uh, where they're being staffed, we're at approximately 40% productivity. Um, until we have 100% productivity by all of those police officers, there's really no reason for us to be hiring more police officers. We need to make sure we're getting a maximum return on our investment on our current police officers before we add more into the mix. Um, and so uh, to go back to your question, um, we we need to have a more selective training and background check and, and screening process when it comes to hiring police officers. We need police officers who prioritize um, diversity and inclusion. And, uh, and, and if we had that, they would have an eye, a better eye for when they're seeing um, discriminatory uh, actions taking place or, um, or uh, you know, just, just violence against um, LGBTQ members of the community. Mm -hmm. um, and, and it's because they are not trained in that way and they don't have that eye that they're not looking out for it. Um, you know, one thing I would encourage the, the police association to require, um, the ACLU um, has this program called the Legal Observer Program. Mm -hmm. um, I've been I was trained- reading at, about that on your website. Yes, so I've been trained as a uh, formal legal observer. Um, and what that means is you get trained to kind of um, identify civil rights um, violations that are taking place. So you'll sign up for protests and you know demonstrations and different events. So last summer, you know, during the George Floyd protests, I was out there as a neutral third party with my phone and my, um, and my notebook, keeping an eye out and taking names of and, and badge members of police officers who were um, being violent with protesters or who were in any way um, violating their civil rights. That is a perfect example of the type of training that we could give police officers so that even if they don't personally have those views, um, they, they have that training. And, yeah. um, and once we have the systems in place that will monitor their performance and evaluate their, um, their output, if they if they do it wrong, you know we have a better way of kind of having checks and balances, um, and and not having not having bad behavior addressed two years later as as we've recently seen. Yeah, and so. it's like how do you recognize a fight and a hate crime between two guys, right? Exactly. Mm -hmm. And it's and it's oftentimes that frankly police officers don't care. You know they mm -hmm. don't care which one it is. Um, they 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 kind of lump it all into one. Um, and, and that is, in, in my opinion, it's, it's taking away from the seriousness of the issue. You know, um, it's not just violence, it's targeted hate crimes against members of the LGBTQ plus community. Yeah. 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 And recognizing that in a particularly vulnerable spot in Dallas being the center of the LGBTQ community here definitely is important. And uh, I do want to ask, maybe we have time for one or two more questions, but another issue that is arising in Dallas generally, but Oakland as well, is the increasing rent and cost of living that is also contributing to the unhoused population in Dallas. What would you do to combat the rising cost of living in Dallas? And secondly, what would you do to support the unhoused community in Dallas? Also very good questions and things that I'm, that I'm passionate about. And um, I feel like as time goes on, I, I have these sections on these issues on my website. And as time goes on, I just, it gets longer and longer and I just add mm -hmm. to it and add to it. Um, but uh, this is, I, in my opinion, the biggest issue facing the city altogether, not just district two is um, we don't have a sustainable and affordable housing plan. Um, right now, the city is very, very friendly and favorable towards property developers. It's a very 
property, property developer friendly city. Um, so what does that mean? And people oftentimes think that I'm like anti-development and, and that's not the case at all. That just means you don't know me. Um, I very much value property development. I value um, bringing value to my property as a homeowner now. I want my property value to go up, but I don't want it to happen at the expense of um, communities being displaced, especially minority communities and communities that have historically and statistically, statistically been underserved and underrepresented. Um, so property developers are, are given kind of an unencumbered, unfettered right to, to build wherever they want, whenever they want, however they want, and take however long they want. Um, and, and one of the reasons that that's possible is because they have um, a perpetual tax abatement, which basically means they don't have to pay taxes on any property that they're developing. Originally, Whoa. that started, yeah, it started as a... Uh, as a effort for property developers to go into underdeveloped neighborhoods um, and kind of incentivize them to, to develop in those areas. Tricky, but then it, tricky. Exactly. And then it became <laughs> kind of across the board. Uh -huh. And so now property developers don't have to pay any taxes. Um, and meanwhile, everyone else's property taxes are skyrocketing. And not only that, but what's happening is these property developers are coming into a neighborhood. And I'll give you an example of, um, of Elm Thicket North Park neighborhood. Um, and, and these numbers are not scientific. It's just for example, um, let's say uh, there's a street that is, uh, the, the houses range from $200,000 to $300,000 in value. Well, these property developers um, are really just kind of picking and choosing where they go, um, what houses they wanna, they wanna demo and start from square one. And so they will buy this lot, um, build up the, the property, uh, create a beautiful modern you know, luxury home in the middle of this kind of, you know, lower to middle income neighborhood, and it'll sort of stick out like a sore thumb. But the problem with that is not that it sticks out like a sore thumb. The problem is that um, it's usually three or four times the value of the houses around it. And so it'll be maybe $800,000, $900,000 in comparison to bound it. Mm -hmm. And so what that does is it causes all of the property on the rest of the street to skyrocket, usually within the span of a year. Um, and that really, really quickly makes people Have unable to, to afford their houses. Yeah. And yeah. and I can't tell you the number of people I've talked to who have told me, please do something. So many for sale signs for that very reason. And it's, we should not be driving people out. Um, we should be trying to build wealth and keep people in. So mm. what I've proposed is a concept of relative valuation. What that is, is um, it's a concept that uh, gives kind of sort of checks and balances to property developers. It doesn't say you can't develop, but it says, if you want to develop in this neighborhood on this, on this lot, you have to do a certain level of research on the houses around it. You cannot go outside of a range of property value um, that, that exists on that property. What that does is it allows kind of the property taxes to remain at um, and and also allows for the property developer to still make profit too. Yeah. Um, I, I, I can't tell you why that's not, not been proposed to date. Um, I I really can't tell you why I am the first person to talk about this, but um, it's absolutely imperative. Um, and aside from that, we need we need property developers to act a little bit more ethically. Um, I, again, cannot tell you the number of people have told me, please do something. These are the people who, and oftentimes they're in the Spanish only speaking neighborhoods. And, and I've gone in all those neighborhoods, I Spanish and, um, and I talk to them and they truly b believe that they're being pushed out of their neighborhood. And they are, and, and these are homes that are multi-generational. They're grandparents, great grandparents have not only lived in that house, but have helped build the neighborhood up. So we should not be driving those people out. It takes away from the culture and the history of our city. Um, there's a way to do it, a happy medium to where both sides of it can benefit. Right. People expect property taxes to rise. They don't expect them to spike, right? Exactly. exactly. Or, mm -hmm. or really increase by 75% within the span of a year. <laughs> yeah. Not that, I'm, not that I'm personally salty. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, awesome. Well, Raha, thank you so much. Um, I feel like I honestly learned so much, um, even in just talking with you. Um, I wanted to give you a chance to to let our listeners know how they can find you, support you, donate, etc. Um, anything like that. Thank you. So yes, uh, you can. I'm on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, all of that good stuff. You can um, go to my website at rahafordallas.com. It's just R A H A for dallas.com 
Um, and another thing that I'm really proud of is um, I, I've had the issue of um, not not being not having my council member accessible to me. And so one one way I've tried to fight that is by making myself extra accessible. I know you came on here for us. Like I was like, we're gonna reach out. I was like you know, are they going to get back to us? So this is huge well, for when me. When I saw this email, I was like, this has to be a nod to Rocco's Modern Life and I'm so yeah. down. <laughs> um, but uh, one of the things that I've done to try and fight the the lack of accessibility is um, I, uh, I started this program called Sunday Night Live. I call it SNL, where I go uh -huh. on Facebook Live um, every Sunday night at 8 p.m. Um, and I just get on and ask people questions or people ask me questions. Um, they, I talk about my campaign. We talk about, you know, issues in the city. Um, and it's just kind of an open dialogue, open conversation that no other candidates doing, no other council members doing. Um, and I really just got to wonder why, you know, are they afraid to ask, or are they afraid to answer questions? Are they afraid of not knowing answers? Um, and I, I will be honest, I am not the smartest person in the room and I will be, I will be the first to tell you, I don't know the answer to a question. Um, and I'll, and I'll also tell you, Get on next week's Sunday Night Live. And I'll have the answer for you then. That's the most um, important so, thing, right? So, mm -hmm. um, so you can reach me on uh, Sunday Night Live, and um, my phone number and my email is on the contact page on my website. Um, so you can you can call, text, email, whatever you want, um, and I will be so happy to hear from a lot of you. Um, and like I said, Oaklawn, um, parts of uptown, parts of downtown. That's kind of. Um, that's kind of the sweet spot in terms of where where I live, but um, uh, I'm happy to you know meet people all across the district. Um, I've kind of gone, I've hit over six thousand doors now, so um, I'm happy to meet people whenever and wherever. Um, and I'm just so thankful that you guys had me on here. Thank you so much. Thank you, thank you so much for joining us. Absolutely. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you again. And uh, we're excited for city council elections for sure. Sorry, I'll add one more little plug. Yeah. Rahafordallas.com slash vote. Uh, there you can find what district you live in and your election date locations and times. So rahafordallas.com slash vote. Um, and also, sorry, last thing, um, <laughs> there, uh, if you guys are on Instagram, um, Dallasites 101 is this really kind of big, yep. uh, you know, Dallas Instagram, um, they, I've partnered with them, um, to kind of do a, um, vote local one, 101 kind of FAQ, why it's important to vote, why it's important to have young people in local leadership. Um, so I would encourage you guys to take a look at their Instagram. Um, they posted on Sunday and um, they will be having a few more posts um, as part of our partnership, but go take a look and read on the website about why it's so important to vote for city council. Perfect. Absolutely. Awesome. Thank you so much. Okay. I've taken up enough of your time. Thank you guys so much. Thank have you. Bye-bye. Candidate's name is Dr. Sana Syed. Running for District 2, correct? correct. Welcome. Thank you. Awesome. We're excited to have you. Um, and we have a lot of questions. So how do you support the LGBTQ community? What will you do to support the community as city council member? Absolutely. So I actually lived in Oak for almost five years. It's where I bought my first property. I had a condo. I was... Um, at the West Side Condominiums at the corner of Raleigh and Cedar Springs. Yeah. And got to hear those fire trucks every day. Yeah. We'll go by here very I, shortly. I will be, I'll be prepared for that. Yeah. So Glon uh, is very much home. I just recently moved a few months ago to Farmer's Market. And I, I still go back to Oaklawn almost regularly, like maybe every day, um, because that's where my life is, my my friends, my neighbors, it's where um, I'd still consider home. So, you know, when it comes to the care of the LGBTQ community, um, when I was spokesperson of Dallas, the Orlando shooting that happened that targeted the LGBTQ community, mm -hmm. I was a part of putting the event together where Chip Brown, Mayor Rawlings, and civics came to speak out against that. Um, and today I run a nonprofit called Kimia International, so we do human rights documentary work. Um, our first film was on human trafficking, film is on the Syrian refugee crisis. So we actually went to Cambodia to do that film in, on human trafficking. And the second one, we, have, we went all the way to the Jordanian-Syrian border. Um, so I, I care very deeply about human rights. And I think, you know, being inclusive in society of every human being 
is so essential to to everything that we are as as a as a person. So last year with the help of United Way, we launched a program called Fight Club. And Fight Club is a 14-week program where we combine boxing, yoga, and therapy for women who are survivors of trauma. Oh, now that. this is this is not you know, we to expand at some point for men, but we have been very explicit that we're dealing with interpersonal trauma. So anyone who's endured sexual abuse, sexual assault, domestic violence, human trafficking, um, and we included in that uh, persecution and discrimination based on sexual orientation and gender identity. So that's very much part of our program. And I've spent a lot of time understanding trauma. Um, mm. As we talk today, we'll be talking about that. But I, I feel the needs of the community are very much uh, in line with where my heart is with the community as well. Yeah, oh, I'd love to hear it. And speaking of community, um, the interesting thing about this in terms of district layout is Oaklawn is effectively cut in half between districts two and 14. So what will you do to give Oaklawn, in particular the LGBTQ community that lives in these two districts, more political agency? So a lot of that, you know, I'll tell you, we are going to see this summer, the lines will change, right? We're coming out of census. We're talking about redistricting. And I really think, you know, the cedars have also been split in half. Mm -hmm. And this doesn't serve our city because we should not be drawing lines based on political gain, but it really needs to be based on census data. Because when we draw lines in that way, based on data, and we are able to keep communities together, when we redraw the lines, then you have more power as a community, right? Mm -hmm. Because you're together and you have more power in who you decide to be a representative. Um, you have more power as representing your community on boards and commissions. So it's it's not so much of a split and dividing interest because that helps dilute um, you know, the power within that community. Yeah. So it actually is something that really frustrates me and I hate to see it, but our city, you, as you just mentioned that, that our district, it just zigzags down and it zigzags back across. Mm -hmm. And I really hate that. Um, I would love to see us double lines based on data and be more inclusive of neighborhoods so that we can address things holistically within the community. Yep. Well, yeah. and you know, it's, it's, I think over pandemic too, we got all of our rainbow crosswalks and we got all yeah. of our you yeah. know, uh, iconography in, or not iconography, that's the wrong word, uh, you know. The monument signs. Yes, the monument signs. Yes. So like for once, like we really feel like we have a district, not in the same right. sense as District 2, District 14, but you know, there's Design District, there's Oaklawn District, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. um, so I'm, I, I it's, we just want to feel like we're all together. Yeah. It's, Right. It's very interesting because like, you know, I live on the south side of Cedar Springs and my boyfriend lives on the north side by the tollway mm -hmm. and or the west, whatever. Uh, and we're in two political different districts. So that's very interesting. But like Tyler mm -hmm. mentioned, you know, we do want to feel as part of a community. And a part right. of that community, unfortunately, something that we have to address is the violence towards trans women and particularly mm -hmm. trans women of color. Yeah. Uh, the state of Texas itself has pretty grim statistics on violence against trans women, especially trans women of color. And of all the cities in Texas, Dallas consistently has some of the worst data and records of violence and aggression and um, just brutal acts done to trans women of color. So as a member of the city council, what will you do to curb that and make the city feel safer for our trans brothers and sisters? Yeah. So um, SMU's Human Rights Center has a, um, a byline that they use, which is there's no such thing as a lesser human being. And I, what, what really hurts me with how the trans community has been treated is that sometimes uh, our trans community has been treated as, as a less than, right? Mm -hmm. And the, when we're talking about murders and uh, not getting enough coverage, what I, what I would love to be a part of is helping the trans community have representation on boards and commissions, bringing them up as leaders in our community, mm -hmm. showing them in positions of power, giving them an opportunity to weigh in on decisions that affect our city. Because once we see our trans brothers and sisters as a member of our community and as equals, right? Mm -hmm. as, as they continue to be shunned and not really seen, we're gonna to continue to see this problem perpetuated. So yeah. we really have to show our leadership 
and helping them come to positions of power so that they're respected and so that they can weigh in on policies that affect their life. On the public safety agenda, I will tell you, I have the support of police and fire and the Dallas Morning News. And I um, have pushed for a trauma-informed public safety model. And what that does is it addresses the re-traumatization of individuals, particularly youth, and also addresses secondary trauma for police and fire. So what this does is it allows us to bring in a model so that if someone comes into contact, for example, with someone from the trans community, that if you know they're they're called into a situation, instead of immediately jumping in for a potential criminal offense, can we potentially identify trauma symptoms and alleviate the situation without moving forward with the criminal offense? Yes. And then from a protection standpoint, um, you know the seven million dollars that um, you will hear the term defunded. I I really hate that word because weaponized by both sides. Um, but what what I really want to see is um, when we, you know, what we did with the whole reallocation of funds, we didn't really bring any healing to the community. So I believe that if we pull together a trauma-informed public safety model, we can bring that healing. And then the other side to this is I've also asked that we evaluate bringing public health back under the city's purview. We had a medical authority. We did have that purview like 15, 20 years ago, maybe longer. We dissolved that. The county has that now. But we continue to see over and over that we are falling short on mental, behavioral health, and substance abuse. And I know we're going to talk a little bit about housing and security, but all those things feed into housing and security. It is not just a beds issue, yeah, right? Absolutely. And so when we address this from a health issue uh, and really uh, as a city start to take health under our purview and address that as leaders within that space, then we are able to make the police department whole and allow them to focus on criminal activity, helping keep our community safe. As I lived in Oakland, I would have neighbors tell me that they don't go out well, this is before COVID, they don't go out after a certain time because they don't feel safe. Mm -hmm. And even though um, the attacks, some of the attacks that were happening in the Oakland community, we saw the visibility go up, right? We saw the police presence go up, but, and, but there was still this fear because it had happened. And so it's that fear that we have to, to mitigate and we have to reconcile that and really step in um, and very explicitly say that we are here to protect our, our trans brothers and sisters. And we want to make sure that they feel safe. Um, and and of course, you know, if an atrocity has been committed against them, to bring that to light immediately with credibility as a city, as a police department, to make sure that we can find a perpetrator immediately. Uh, more importantly, intervening before something happens to them. Yes, agreed. And yeah. kind of piggybacking what you said off of uh, safety, I know some people that I've talked to around Oakland have noticed that uh, there's a pretty sizable homeless population or an unhoused population mm -hmm. in mm -hmm. Oakland and in the city of Dallas in general. And so what, do you have any plans uh, to kind of address the unhoused issue in the city of Dallas and in Oakland as well? Yes, absolutely. Um, so when we, you know, living in Oakland, what did we see happen when COVID hit? Libraries closed their doors. Yeah. Yeah. They had nowhere to go. Yeah. And so, you know, the, there's that one gentleman, um, he's the tall skinny gentleman with blonde mm -hmm. hair. Yes. Um, yeah, yes. so every now and then it got to a point where he and another gentleman would run into the street. Yes. Almost yeah. like they were wanting to get hit by a car. Right? Yep. Um, and so what happens is when we have these encampments in the city, um, you know, a city council member will say, please move this encampment from the district and uh, city hall will come in and spend hundred thousand, maybe millions of dollars cleaning up that space. And they just moved to another part of the city, mm -hmm. right? We saw this with Camp Tent City. We saw it again with Camp Rhonda. You're just decentralizing the, 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 the population, right? Mm -hmm. And so sometimes that becomes difficult because when you're trying to provide services and resources, and then you have to go back and try to find them. Yep. And so as a city, we can't look at homelessness as just homelessness, right? Because homelessness, has, it's a lot to take on. We have to look at it as chronic, episodic, transitional, and hidden homelessness. There's a lot of different variation there. Mm -hmm. And then if we can bring back that component of public health, then we can address it from a mental behavioral health substance abuse standpoint. And then we, I think we will actually see some change here. Mm -hmm. We continue to just spin our wheels. And you know, yesterday morning, I spent the morning at the stew pot. Mm -hmm. 
And I spent um, actually my entire morning there um, learning more in more depth what the programs they offer are, how they've changed during COVID. Mm -hmm. And they flat out told me, you know, they're part of the continuum of care with the city of Dallas, which is this partnership where you've got mental health providers, nonprofits, everyone coming together to address housing and security. But she will flat out tell you, we need more help, right? We need more help. Because if you think about it, the city will continue to address our issues with the resources that we have. And when more than half the budget is police and fire, You'll, you're going to use police and fire, right? Mm -hmm. But you, you should not be policing mental health. You should not be policing homelessness. You actually need to bring in mental health care providers to do this. So what we saw during the Reagan, Reagan administration is the feds passed the buck on mental health care to cities. And cities have failed us, have mm -hmm. failed us there. And so until we see that, and actually, you know, with the verdict that's read today, in the, in the Chauvin case, mm -hmm. this is something that some of the national leaders are seeing about this. Until we address mental health, we are not going to heal. Yep. And so from, from racial healing to homelessness, um, you know, what, however you look at our, however you look at the people hurting in our community right now, we absolutely, we, were, we, will, we will continue to pedal through this and, and like we'll be in a hamster wheel. Yep. Until we say we are ready to be a leader of this and take ownership of this and, and create the plan that includes the mental health and substance abuse. And just one quick thing I'll add to that. Um, in Boston, um, they have a program that they put in place. So the homeless population will actually go there and receive uh, small doses of whatever drug it is that they're addicted to, mm -hmm. to help wean them off of the drug so yep. that they can be productive members of society, maybe apply for a job right? Mm -hmm. Become productive members and they kind of get their agency and their life back. Yeah. So there are programs, there are models in place in the country right now that we can borrow from. But as long as public health is not under the city's purview, we will not do that. Right. And that's, so that's the thing why is, that shift has to happen. You, I, I mean, as frequenters of the bars uh, in this area, mm -hmm. um, you know, not during COVID, but just in general is you see all of these people and it's not it's very clearly not a police issue. It's they need help. Yeah. Um, so, and there's no one there to help them. Right. Mm -hmm. So right. I, I absolutely agree. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I'll give you one last question real quick before we wrap up yeah. kind of a, a issue that feeds into the unhoused population in Dallas is the uh, rapid cost of living in the city and how people are being forced out of their homes because they can no longer afford to live there. So as a city council member, what will you do to help people stay in their homes, reduce gentrification, and um, you know, level the cost of living across the city? Yeah, um, this is a question for actually, my team and I are doing a lot as we block walk, right? So mm -hmm. when we walk through parts of um, Jubilee Park, there's mm -hmm. that, you know, someone will stroll through there and ask them how much, you know, they'll take for their house. And when you walk through there, it's a $42,000 home next to a million dollar home. Yep. It's really wild. And so the residents, even though I, I'll have a t-shirt on and clearly identifying who I am, before I'm able to talk to them, they're like, are you here to make an offer on my home? Like they're so overcome with anxiety because they're approached so much about people just trying to pay them pennies on the dollar for their home so they can redevelop it. And, and so I do think that we need to have some amount of protection for residents because look, what did we do decades ago? We brought in highways, we brought in this, all this concrete and we tore communities apart. Mm -hmm. We ripped apart cultural fabric, not just here in Dallas, but mm -hmm. all across the United States and major mm -hmm. epicenters, right? And so we have a chance to fix that. I, I want less effort spent on building highways I want more effort spent here, making our communities more walkable, bringing in more grocery stores and addressing the rising cost of living. Yeah. So that if a community is gentrifying, can we create some kind of a cap on the property taxes for residents who are already there? There are people yeah. who've been there for generations, yeah. for generations. And losing them, you lose the fabric and this history that mm. is so integral to our city. And yeah. I don't want to see that. So I definitely think that we can bring in policy. You know, our city hall has become very pay to play. Um, and, and I don't want that to seem, you know, like I'm just insinuating all council members are doing this, not at all. I just think that's very much become the culture, right? We have all these PDs, all mm -hmm. these plan development uh, districts, right? 
but at the end of the day, if you, you know how you can get a development through city hall. Mm -hmm. So at the same time, then what is the accountability for residents, right? Yes. We have to build in some accountability. And this is the sentiment I am hearing almost on a daily basis. There's some degree of the developer and residents feel like their voices are not being heard. Yep. Mm -hmm. And I think that can definitely be addressed through policy and leadership on that issue. Agreed. And it will help keep communities like Oakland vibrant, cultural, so the exactly. fun that they are. That's, yes. I mean, that's the, I think that's my favorite part about Dallas. I'm formerly from Austin, so I've kind of seen the big changes happen right around that time. But my favorite thing about Dallas is everywhere you go, it's like a different place. It's kind of like New York, right? In that sense, right. as you have, you know, yeah. little different versions and like, you know, if you want really good um, pho, like there's a place to go for that. And mm -hmm. it's amazing to be able to go around Dallas and find that. Yeah, I mean, you know, our zoning, um, it we're not like Houston, right? Like mm -hmm. Dallas people don't like Houston <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and Houston people don't like it. And that's very deliberate, right? Like mm -hmm. I go to Houston and it's maddening. I'm like, take me to a good restaurant and get me out of here as fast yeah. as you can. Yeah. I love that about our city because it has allowed us exactly like you said, we have these neighborhoods so you can go to a completely different part of Dallas and have a completely different experience. Yes. But in that preservation, we have to do right by the people who already live there. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. Awesome, well, Dr. Sana, thank you for joining us today. I wanna yes. give you a second too, to let our listeners know where they can find you, how they can support you, um, anything you'd like to share with them as well. Absolutely. So thank you so much. It was an absolute honor this time with you this evening. Thank, thank you for you. giving me this opportunity. Visit www.drsenaseyed.com. So say N-A-S-Y-E-D.com. You can find me on Facebook. You can find me on Instagram. You can find my nonprofit on, on Instagram, Twitter. I would love the support. Any questions you have, I'm happy to answer them. And thank you again for your time. Absolutely. It, gentlemen. Thank you so much. Have a good it's night. been an absolute pleasure. You too. Bye. Well, 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 well. Ryan, that was a lot of information. A lot of good information. A lot, a lot of, of good information. Things were said. And, you know, just to reiterate back what you said, city council in Dallas is really powerful compared to other cities. So let's not forget that. Vote, go vote this Saturday. Like this, if you're listening to this, when it comes out this coming Saturday, May 1st, go out and vote for city council. Mm -hmm. especially, especially if you're in district 14 or district two. Um, other districts, I don't know. Do whatever you want. <laughs> <laughs> but help Oaklawn stay vibrant. Stay, stay vibrant, Oaklawn. <laughs> and you know what? If you if hookups are your thing and you love hearing all the salacious political news, you should rate and review us. While you're at it, you should definitely subscribe and download HML Political Hookup wherever you listen to your podcast. And follow us on Insta at HML Political Hookup and on Twitter at HML Hookup. That's just the tip of the iceberg. Try giving our sister podcast a listen, Homo's hey. Modern Life. You can find them on the website, www.homosmodernlife.com. And check out that merch that will make people stop and say, wow, I'd like you to counsel my city. <laughs> Have feedback for us or topics you want us to discuss? Great. Email us at hml's political hookup at gmail.com and tell us which candidate got you on the polls we'll see you next time <laughs> Bye bye <laughs>